Hey guys, this is a plea for Andy, and we're going to discuss metal. This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Andy Dozer Adkins of A Plea for Purging. Hosted by Dan Terry and Joseph Wren. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. Heck yeah, dude. That's the one and only. <laughs> well man, I'm glad you're I'm glad you're here tonight. Now are you also on lockdown? Uh yeah, I am. Um I currently work in staging and production productions. Um so live music events, right? That's what we do. We make um custom staging gear and rent it and sell it out to you know, anybody from like Taylor Swift and Zach Brown band to, you know, anybody you could think of. Um, so since all of that is shut down for the foreseeable future, um, our whole industry is just uprooted and, um, a ton of companies in our industry closed down. Um, but we've been lucky enough that that hasn't happened yet, but I haven't worked today. I actually went into the shop for the first time in a month and, uh, you know, worked a few hours just doing some stuff that needed to get done. And, uh, slowly going to start moving back into being able to go in a little bit here and there. But for the most part, we don't have any business lined up for the foreseeable future, which is kind of a bummer because it might seriously affect me pretty hard before it's over with. I've already taken like a pay cut and stuff, but that's long winded answer to your question. Yeah, I'm working kind of. Yeah, that seems to be that seems to be most if they're not if you're not trapped in your house, you're pretty much like, dude, I've been. I've been pulled over a couple times just for driving to Burn, Missouri, and uh, they just put us on lockdown a little bit later than they probably should have. Uh, but uh, yeah, I've been driving to work, and like Kyle will pull me over and be like, "Where are you going?" And I'll be like, "To work." And he's like, "Where's that?" And I got to show him like a note <laughs> saying it's okay for me to go to work. Yeah, we and, have uh, those. Yeah, it's too. just been wild. But um, one of the reasons uh, we wanted to have you on too is just to get. I mean, there's been a lot of activity, um, especially from you lately on on socials. You've been doing um, you've been doing like some live stuff and like videos and and, and all that stuff. And um, I and either either I, either I just haven't been following you for the past however many years, but it seems like there's been an uptick in content. Is that just because because you've had time to do it? Yeah, I mean, I. I've been active on like my Instagram more than anything, like over the past, you know, seven or eight years. Um, but just recently started paying a little bit more attention to Facebook and Twitter again. Um, but ever since the band's been over, you know, I've just been focused on like, uh, you know, real adult stuff, you know, working a job, having a career, all that. Um, but I like, I really enjoy. Um, one, making people laugh. Um, you know, I, I hope that people think I'm funny or at least if they're not laughing with them, with me, I'm cool with them laughing at me kind of thing. Um, but I miss that. And I miss like these kind of interactions. We don't know each other. And we're like sitting here talking to each other from other, you know, you're in different States and stuff. And, um, I just miss that. Like I miss being on the road and meeting new people and having, um, some sort of meaningful um, relationship with strangers, kind of, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, sure. So, uh, it, 
I've just realized like I want to be more in front of people and and I miss talking. You know, I like hearing myself talk too, really when it comes down to it. <laughs> but um Same. long story short, the older I get, the more cynical I become and I've realized that and I don't think that's the point of living and I think like we're supposed to be getting happier and more jovial with the more knowledge we take in, right? So um, like if you've noticed any of the branding of what I'm trying to do right now, it's under the guise of like party on forever. And, um, that really is just me trying to, to fake it till you make it, make myself like be happier and have more fun. Um, so I don't know. I got this whole thing where I'm like working on a YouTube channel and a podcast. I don't have any of it out yet, but like it will be about that you know this kind of thing sit down interviews um you know just getting back to the point of relationships with people and and um having a good time and focusing less on finances and work you know sure and i i that that's huge especially i'm coming from the point when you know when a plea for purging ended yeah, we definitely all got the impression that you were just burned out on all of it. Um, you know, like, especially like, and I'm talking more, not necessarily like interviews and stuff that you'd said, but just more, just the vibe that we got from that last record. And, you know, I, it's so funny too, because I always considered you guys to be like the chillest, partiest, happiest dudes on the face of the earth. And then you get, to, you actually listen to the songs and it's like some of the most serious stuff, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah. that, that you could possibly lay down. I always thought that was an interesting dichotomy and um, didn't know if you, uh, you know, do, do you kind of feel like maybe the burnout has faded somewhat? Is that is that kind of what you're getting at, that it was kind of like, man, I kind of miss some of the stuff, maybe not all of it, but some of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you, you hit it right on the head, like, the longer we did, you know, we toured like 200 plus days a year for seven years you know that's a lot of being on the road which we loved we loved it a ton in the beginning and we still loved it at the end but like you get burnt out um you start focusing on you know we were all in our 30s by the time the band was over um you and you were not making that much money you know and not trying to say it's all about finances but it is when you want to start families and john's having a kid and everybody's getting married and all those kind of things and so it definitely the road took its toll um and when it was all said and done i kind of wanted to crawl into a little cave for a little bit kind of you know like also like you just you have to be on all the time where when you're in that world just mr we call it mr personality um you know like when you show up to wichita kansas right you're out in the middle of nowhere and some kid, you know, whether it's a 13-year-old kid or a 25-year-old dude, like, whoever it is, like, they didn't come to see you on, like, today. Like, today, maybe I'm not feeling so hot. I'm not feeling so great, and I'm bummed out. They didn't come to see that. They came right. to see, like, the dude from the Malevolence video that's hilarious and, like, a party you know what like exactly what you just said we were like a party all the time super fun because that's i mean we got into music and touring and stuff to have fun we weren't trying to be that super serious like 
play in a dark warehouse video band, you know, that, you know, every metal band was trying to be. We were trying to have a good time. So that's what all our videos and our interviews and shirts and stuff were about. Um, But me inside, I'm like a pretty like uh, heavy dude as far as, I mean, not only just being big fat guy, but like inside, (laughs) I'm like, there's a dark cloud and I'm always thinking all the time. My brain never stops. And, you know, why are we here? What's the world about? Is God real? Like, you know, everything you can be thinking about. And so you catch me on that day, but I still have to be the funny fat dude. And so that just got overbearing towards the end, you know? And I mean, that's not why we ended the band, but like, all of those kind of things compound into being like just a heavy thing and you decide, okay, I'm ready to shut that out for a while. Um, and you know, I got out of it and I found like that I needed to find my identity in myself and my relationship and, uh, you know, with Rachel and, um, like I have a real life. And now that I've stepped away and I have had time to just like breathe, it feels nice again to try to start interacting with with people with strangers really and uh starting new relationships and all that well we definitely got that vibe you know with those final record video blogs that you guys did when you're hanging out in that guy's house and somebody goes down the hall with the camera and there's andy in the bathroom it's like come on dude you having a good time and you did not look happy which you know (laughs) that just looks like a band on the road or a band that's been out of the house one day longer than they want to be so that is what it is but then the album comes out and it's called the life and death of plea for purging and we all ate our own words because the joke for our friends was god if that's not right on the nose we're not going to have any more plea and that's going to be a bad day and it just turned out that well that was the last record by plea yeah, it's crazy. And we didn't like, we didn't write that record to be a farewell record. We didn't even mean for that title to say we were ending. But I think like we were, we were all really close and really self aware and um, kept this open, honest conversation about what the band was to each of us through our entire career. So, like, we had already had conversations about the band being over at that time, but hadn't made any like solid decisions. It was just like, when it's over, we'll all know, you know? Um, so I don't know. It just, it genuinely just grew into being that, you know, like we wrote this record is really heavy lyrically, you know, it had quite a bit to do with just my personal life and you know all the different things i had going on um and i don't know but it it yeah it's crazy once it was out and you know you go back and you listen to it and it's just obvious that that's the last record that that band's gonna put out you know um (laughs) but you know hopefully people like it that's still like the record that it's not like the best and the heaviest record i think everybody agree like the heaviest best record is the marriage maybe that's what most people say but the life was i can still listen to that record and be like oh yeah dude that stuff hits hard like lyrical content anyway for me i know the marriage is his favorite but for me it's always been depravity that record had its own sound of not artificialness but it had that atmosphere and i've compared it to like the dark knight where 
the score has that sound of electronics of the light bulb in the corner just ringing out the entire time and it makes you feel uncomfortable and depravity has kind of that same feel so for me that hits the most but he's all about the marriage well i what i was gonna to to jump back onto life and death real quick um speaking of lyrical content that's the thing you know like i'm a metal fan obviously our podcast is like all about metal and all that stuff or whatever but the thing that the thing that i that i get the most out of of music be it heavy music or not is the lyrical content and that record um one of the things that i always felt like listening to it is like you were so open and honest about things that were deeply personal like to the point where like I wouldn't have shared it that I wouldn't have shared that with some of that stuff with my best friend. You know what I mean? Like that, that sort of stuff. So like, was it, was it weird? You know, cause you were talking about, you know, yeah, we got the, you know, Mr. Personality and always wanting to stay, you know, happy and go lucky and all of that. Um, was it hard for you to open up like that, um, on a record and be like that emotionally vulnerable? Yeah. I mean, like, I had nothing to lose at that point, you know, especially that far in our career and we were all at like, um, I guess I was, I threw it all out there just cause like I was so, I guess it was cathartic, you know, like it needed to come out. Like I'm, I'm really, um, I hold everything in. I'm not very emotional. I'm real flat. Um, I don't like to cry, you know, like during that whole, you know, the, the the elephant in the room of that record is like my mom killed herself right and i talk yeah. about it in that record and yeah. so you know that was really heavy and i cried super hard like crazy like can't even imagine you know like um but i don't like that i don't like being that person i don't like crying i don't like the way it makes me feel um and so like you bottle up all that stuff and you just get really hard and if you don't find some other way to let it out then it's just going to kill you, you know? Um, And I was just always really lucky that the dudes in my band and Jason at Face Down and any of the fans that followed us from point A to Z allowed me to be vulnerable and open like that. Because I talk about, like, a lot of stuff throughout that record and Marriage both, like... We're a quote-unquote Christian band. I'll, I'll say we're, we were a Christian band, right? I mean, I when we first started, I would stand on stage and damn near give, like, an altar call, right? Um, or at least be, like, the whole, like, we're here for Jesus. He loves you thing. So right. I have weird, I, you know, I don't really know what Christian band means at this point, but for the sake of it, we'll just say we're a Christian band. And yeah. then throughout our career, like, Towards the end, you get there, you're pretty much saying, like, is God real? Like, do I believe in God? And I'm not sure I want to be on his side. Like, those are things that, like, were being said in our records, and we're on a Christian label. And, like, it's just really cool that our fan base and our label and the dudes behind me that actually have way stronger faith. Everything that I say, I can only speak for myself. I'm not speaking for them. Um, They like allowed me to be that honest about my spiritual walk and everything I was doing or dealing with. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I was really blessed to have like a support system and, um, it's cool that I was able to get that stuff off my chest and talk about it. And 
the hope is that those things being vulnerable like that uh, gives anybody else the strength to get through whatever they're getting through, right? Yeah, totally. And like, I that that makes me happy as a fan that that helped you. You know what I mean? Because like, you listen, you're a fan. You're a fan of a dude. You love lyrics and 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 performances and all that stuff. And yeah, maybe it starts off as just entertainment. Like, man, this band's got some sweet riffs. You know what I mean? Like, it starts off like that, but over time, you you kind of develop that relationship with the fans lyrically, and you know, it always concerns me um, whenever I whenever I'll hear somebody getting really, 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 really real. But it's it's refreshing to hear that it was cathartic for you. It wasn't like a you're like I'm getting it out versus. Um, just wallowing in it you know what i mean like you know and um we don't get that very often i think one of the one of the weirdest dichotomies between being a fan of music is if you're mad you're gonna write super heavy stuff which metalheads put above everything else right um but if you're not mad and you're happy your music reflects that as well and um so it's it's that weird dichotomy where like we want you to be happy and good but we also want you to be mad to put out brutal music you know yeah um and so that was that that was always really weird for me but yeah that record was just so heavy in the sense of like lyrically i'd say the lyrics were heavier than the music you know in a lot of ways yeah for sure um and uh to make it more uh laughable i <laughs> i was playing a song um i don't i think it was oh might have been it might, it might have been something. It, I think it was Heart of a Child, actually, uh, in front of one of my kids uh, one time. She said that the that it sounded like uh, it sounded like basketballs bouncing on the <laughs> on the floor of a gym, <laughs> just because of how bouncy and how bouncy and genty it was that's and all funny. that. And I was like, that's a unique that's a unique perspective. Uh, I've never would, heard that before. You uh, you just gave me a great idea for just like a YouTube channel of. You just get little kids that review uh, metalcore bands. That'd be funny. There you go. Well, I got I got one that would audition for sure. <laughs> <laughs> we had one one time. I don't remember who we were listening to, but we and I won't say it because I don't want to like slam them or whatever. I remember we were listening to a band together, and my kid was like, "Why is he screaming like that?" And I'm like, "Well, you know, that's just the way people in metal bands scream. You know, that's how they sing or whatever." And she's like, no. She goes, I've heard other metal bands scream, and it, like it's a lot, it's a lot better than this. And I was like, what do you oh, mean? She's no. like, I don't know. Just, yeah, no. She's like, she's like, it, it. Uh, she goes, it sounds like he's just yelling to be annoying. It doesn't sound like he's actually mad about anything. <laughs> I was that's like, funny. Oh my God. Like, yeah, uh, that's why metal is kind of silly in it, you know, in its own way. But, um, but yeah, like Joe was saying about. Um, was saying about the marriage that is my favorite plea record just because of how pissed off it is and some of the stuff that is said on that record even is kind of some of the scariest stuff i remember like being with my being you know with like church friends and stuff and popping that record and there was stuff that was said on it that just made people super uncomfortable you know (laughs) like yeah for sure like that's good yeah i mean i think that that was the whole point like not that we're I'm I guess we're trying to ruffle feathers like I mean it's just you know you I've done ton of interviews about it but like you know in the end there's like this industry there's a Christian music industry there is a uh industry to sell God to people 
and we were right in the middle of it and that's crazy and um we just saw a lot of crazy stuff that we didn't really agree with and were a part of things that probably did things we didn't agree to in the beginning or whatever i don't know and um i don't know it's just if you're more immersed in it and that's all you see you just you write about your surroundings right that record just started as me just writing about my surroundings that's everything i've ever done it's just write songs about my experiences so every song was about this same thing you know i don't think we started like saying hey let's write a song calling out everybody we know you know but like that's kind of <laughs> what it ended up being in the end and um i don't know like it is for sure musically the heaviest thing we ever did i think it might be one of the heavier records of all time you know um that's a lawfully statement but you know it's you know, 10 years ago, so I can say it now, right? Um, yeah, dude, it, you're fine. It's super heavy, um, and it's pissed, man. It's like, that's got to be like the most pissed record a Christian band's ever done, right? Right. I 100%. Mean, I mean, whenever you're just going to yell, if I was God, we'd all be dead, you know, like that's, I mean, whew, you know, like the, the way, uh, the way that, the way that, that rolls over with people that are maybe listening to more Christian music. See, at that point in my life, I was listening to Christian music because that's what I grew up listening to, but also listening to a lot of secular stuff. And uh, I remember a buddy of mine was like, well, what's the difference between this and the secular bands or whatever? And I was like, I don't know if there's like a difference, but it's one of those like, like you were saying, you guys were a Christian band, but there weren't a lot of Christian bands that were being that real about stuff, you know, at that time. Like, it's like, I remember, um, and I'm sorry if I'm talking too much during this interview. People always complain that I talk too much when I interview people. But um, one of the things is, is that like we were, Joe and I were writing some songs uh, for a band that we were in for like five minutes. And um, we, uh, remember I was writing lyrics with a buddy of mine and his wife was like reading over the lyrics for some reason. We didn't ask her to, but she just took it on herself to do so. <laughs> and uh, she's like, where's the positive resolution in this song? And I was like, what do, you, what do you mean positive resolution? And she's like, you know, the, the positive resolution, you know, like, like, like where, where's the point where, you know, and I was like, what, where the sky, the ceiling opened up and Jesus just descends down and yeah, all of this beautiful end, glory makes and it makes better. it all better. I was, I was like, this is still something that I'm struggling with. Like, I'm still feeling this, you know, like it's not something that I've gotten over, you know. And uh, it seemed like that was the sentiment. And then you guys come along with record that's like, and even, I mean, and even depravity before that was like deeply negative. And I'm not saying that to like slam it, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're going to have negative experiences and they're going to, they're going to taint you. They're going to taint your life, you know, and like, you're not just going to get out of it, you know, at the, <laughs> in, in five minutes because somebody told you to read more scripture or to, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever it is. And so, I mean, I, I appreciated that, was, that that you guys were so honest and that you were allowed to be honest. Yeah, dude, that's the thing. Like, it it all, um, I, I owe it all to, like, the other dudes in the band and Jason at Facetown for just allowing me to be that, you know? Because, like, Jason signed us as one thing. Like, our first record, Critique of Mind and Thought, like, which is awful i think like i'm uh, you know not a fan i can pretty much like look back and respect and be proud of everything we did at depravity and on um but 
not you know i could wipe critique off and be fine with it but um jason signed that band he signed a a metal band that sounded like dragon force and and uh you know iron maiden with a dude that screamed on top and all of our lyrics were like the most like stereotypical christian war warfare like spiritual warfare lyrics that every single christian metalcore band did right and um and 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 i don't mean that negative uh, to like john our bass player was writing a lot of the lyrics at that time when i joined the band he was already uh, like the lyricist so i'm not slamming him because that's like the way that he um you know those metaphors make sense to him and they're deep to him and uh he was you know that's his walk and then like when i took over you know i was like hey if i'm gonna be singing in this band i want to be writing about my life and my stuff and um that's kind of like it got more real and more personal at depravity um yeah and i don't really know how to wrap my brain around this thought because it just it just popped in my head as you were talking but like maybe the whole arc of a plea for purging is this like all of our videos and our shirts and us as dudes are funny and humorous and like party good time boys. But all the lyrics of every record we did, Depravity On, are really negative and pretty heavy. And because that's where I'm at when I'm all alone in my head with nobody else. Um, but maybe that whole thing is just to show everybody that like we're all dealing with those like negative, heavy like deep dark you're in your corner alone thing like we're all everybody's got their own thing but they you have that you got something inside of you that i don't know about that's heavy and dark right and i have the same shit but the whole point is to try to work through those things so that we can be the good time party boys that are having a good time um because i don't want to be that person that like in my little dark hole I don't want to be that person out in public bringing you guys down, you know? So I'm trying to like have a good time and, and be that positive, you know, good time dude. Um, you know, I could probably wrap that up into a more concise, concise statement. if I had a few weeks to think about it, but, um, that's probably what plea for purging was, man. was just like, yo, we're dealing with some heavy stuff, but we're getting through it and, we're going to have a good time while we're doing it kind of thing. That's one thing that I think is very unique to a plea for purging. You had very serious, very intense motifs, but when it came down to how the listener and how I was going to be experiencing that at a show, it was 100% positive. It was, it's cool, dude. We're all going through it. Let's go through it together. It's all going to be fine. Everybody picks on like, a sleeping giant for being way too preachy but that was their thing they were 100 here is the message we're going to present it in a heavy way whereas you guys had the feeling of i'm going to say more reality less spiritual but you presented it in a spiritually supportive way you were positive guys i remember when you came to st louis one time Somebody right at the front of the stage just said, Andy, are you guys going to play Malevolence? Yes, we are. And that was it. (laughs) And everybody was psyched at that point forward because we knew, all right, Andy said they're going to play Malevolence. Everything's going to be great. 
and I never saw a fight at your shows. I never saw anybody getting mad at each other or pushing each other around. It was, guys, we're at a police show. This is going to be great. There were definitely some scenes in states where it wasn't that excited, like that positive, and there were fights. It, it all depended on where you were in the country, but for the most part, yeah, that was the vibe we were trying to put out. Man, was like, it's a good time. We're here to have fun. We're here to party. Like, I want to see a hundred stage dives during one song. Like, you know, like it was just all about having a good time because that's the only point in doing it. Like. If, if I was having a miserable time on stage or having a miserable time on tour, like I should be at home, you know? And so yeah. the whole vibe was just like, yo, let's make this the fun, the funnest 30 minutes that we can, you know? And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't, you know? It depended on if we were playing, if we were playing to a room of like 300 to a thousand people, it's pretty easy to have a good time. When you're playing to like 30 people, you have to really fight for it, man. You know, and sometimes yeah. it worked out and sometimes it didn't. I mean, there's internet videos of us on YouTube playing in rooms to like seven people, like for real, like mid career, you know? So like, that's, that's pretty heavy. Yeah. Well, if I can, I want to circle back to a, uh, to, to what you were saying about, um, you know, we, we've all kind of got our own shit, right? Like we've got our own, our own stuff that we're dealing with. And I mean, and I feel like you said it best on the last record, and I wish I remember the name of the song, but I listened to everything on shuffle today. Um, but you said, uh, we've all got hell at our backs. We fight the same fights in different places with different faces. And that like, that really connected, connected with me because, you know, it's like absolutely the truth. Like, you know what I mean? Like in the sense of, you know, like what Joe was saying, how you guys presented everything in a way of, of reality and that we're all stressed out. We're all messed up. And so like, how great is it that, we can all get together at a show and kind of like exercise that to a certain <laughs> exorcise not exercise or maybe exercise, but you know, um, <laughs> that's the, uh, that, you know, like that, that's the thing that always got me. And it, it's just, uh, well, I heard that lyric when I was driving home from work and I was like, dude, I got to like talk to this guy about stuff tonight and, mm -hmm. and not be like, do you remember when you said, do you remember when you said blah, blah, blah on blah, blah, blah album? That was awesome. <laughs> Dude, I do remember those lyrics. What's funny is like, I'd, I'd have a hard time remembering some of our song titles, but that one is, the title is in that lyric. It's with hell at our backs. That's uh, right. At least yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. But man, those lyrics are heavy, dude. When you're when you were reciting that, I was like, man, that is heavy, and just got me all thinking. And I have to believe that I might be one of the greatest lyricists of all time. But um, <laughs> bam, yeah, the blabbermouth headline tomorrow morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, dude. I mean, we are though. We're all fighting. Like, I mean, there's some people like Rachel, my fiance, dude. She's like, she's not like me in my head, dude. She just like skates through life feeling pretty happy about most things you know she has days where like you know she's bitchy about something or like you know like in a bad mood but for the most part she doesn't like wrestle with all these existential like dealings inside of her and like there so there are people like that and i wish i was one of those people um but i'm so heavily like rooted in that stuff that like, dude, there's not a day that goes by in my life that I don't question like, like science, God, 
my life? Like, what am I here for? Is there a point? Like, does my life do, do any of these thoughts even matter? Am I just like an organism floating through space? Like, dude, like I think about that stuff all the time. I'm scared to death of dying. Like, it's just, I'm all wrapped up in it. So, um, everybody's got some little fight, you know, it's just a different face behind it, but then there's yeah. some people that can just walk through life and everything's pretty easy for them, you know? Yeah, t- totally. Yeah. My wife, my wife's very similar. People are always like, what do you guys have in common? Cause you're like this super mad dude all the time. And you know, uh, she, she tends to be more on the bright and cheerful side of things. Joe's laughing. He knows exactly what I'm talking about, but it's just one of those, like, you know, I, it's and I almost feel like guys like that. We just need somebody to balance that out, you know, in Dude, a way for sure. That's like Rachel's been my saving grace, man. Like she's, uh, I mean, there were probably years where I would have not been like in public or part of any social setting if it wasn't for her, you know, because like I just I get where I could just be like at home in my sweatpants and. Um, you know, I think it's depression maybe, but like just, you know, all of our friends are hanging out and I'm like, oh, no, I'm good. I'll stay home, you know, and Rachel like pulls me out and, and, and makes me be a part of that. And, um, yeah, I think it's good to have that counterbalance of your negative. She's positive and she, um, is the light to your darkness, dude. There it is. (laughs) There it is. That's another, that's a free one. Now, speaking of amazing lyrics, you know, you said that you didn't write the lyrics on a critique of mine and thought, but on the betrayers, whenever you scream, make them say, uh, that, that was all you, right? Yeah, that is probably me. And I don't even remember that. That is so sick. Dude, dude, it's our favorite part of the song. It's like, do make them say, uh, you get that gang vocal. And that was on the first time I was like, this dude, I was like, this dude listens to rap. Yeah, for sure. Dude, that's funny, dude. I don't even remember that. Yeah. Like, cause we'd stop playing any of those songs. Like, yeah. you know, pre- at, like right around depravity, we were like, okay, we're done with this stuff. But I did write some of the lyrics on that record, but a, a good bit of them were from when John was writing lyrics on our EPs. The Betrayers is probably one of my favorite of the old uh, Please songs, um, just because it's super shredtastic and. <laughs> But I, I agree with you. Like, it's funny you say you think that that record's bad, dude. I ran a I ran a blog for like two years that I called a critique of mind and thought dot blogspot dot com. Cool, <laughs> like, dude. That's sick. Copyright I mean, we, infringement for the. Win. I'm pretty yeah. sure that we stole that title from. Um, there was God. It's actually in the liner notes. There's like a a passage from this guy's uh, like thesis. And I think that his thesis was called a critique of mind and thought. Um, and I, it's been so long ago. I can't even remember it, but I remember like me or Aaron, I think it was Aaron read it and was like, dude, we need to write a record about this. But that, I mean, that it's cool that, that, I mean, that record means something to some people like, dude, I just, I did the interview a couple days ago with another guy that like, that's his favorite record and he l- loved it. And, um, so I'm super stoked that that exists and people latched onto it. It's just um, the reason I hate that record is because of my performance on it, to be honest. Um, lyrically, I rushed some of the stuff that I did. Vocally, um, I wasn't prepared and like underperformed. And um, 
like that I was really relying on the guy that recorded us to try to like make my vocal sound better. And we did a lot of layering and then he kind of botched all the editing on the vocals, which if I would have just been stronger vocally at the time, then he, I wouldn't have had to rely on him. So it was a lot of the technical aspect of the vocals and where they sat in the mix and how bad I did. That makes me hate that record. Just being honest, you know, um, I don't really, you know, if it was a perfect sounding record and I did great on it, I'm not ashamed that we are like, uh, like a slay, like a metal band, you know, that's cool. Right. People like that stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it, you guys filtered it out too slowly. Like, cause obviously depravity has got more shred on it, you know, than, um, than the marriage. And so, I mean, it was a, it was a subtle, it was a subtle drop off of, of that stuff. Um, which I think was appreciated for guitar players like Joe over there. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah. yeah, I remember being I remember being all in for the heavy because I remember hearing Depravity and being like, "Man, when did Plea turn into a gent band?" Like these guys are like, I don't even know if we even said the word gent back then, but like it was, you know. Um, I remember being like, "Man, this is like really speaks to it." And it's crazy too because I heard that record and then I went and saw you guys play like two, three weeks later, and I bought all of I bought um, that record, the EP, and. And um, depravity, in I think you guys were only charging like five bucks each for the record, which is something you guys were always doing. Was that was that some kind of like your your guys's merch and uh, CDs and stuff? It was always super cheap, like not cheaply made, but like cheaply like you know charged way less than the other bands. And so like you could walk out from another band and pay ten bucks for their CD, but you could walk out with two police CDs for for ten bucks. Um, was that something, you know, especially with some of the lyrical content on the marriage and about money making, was that like a conscious thing for you guys where you're trying to like make it not as much about money or I think there there is a a humble side of it like that that is true to us and then a business side too. Um like I grew up in hardcore and punk rock and going to hardcore shows where it never costs more than $5 to get into a show. Then you could buy a, uh, EP or demo for $3 and a t-shirt for $8, you know, like, um, and so when we got into it and started touring, like, and over, over that, like seven, we toured for like seven years over that amount of time, like things changed so much, like in the music industry and the way that music was sold and consumed and the like when we first started shows cost five dollars and when we uh quit at the end shows were like almost twenty dollars you know it's crazy um but so yeah i mean we wanted people to have our records like you know if it it cost us five dollars to get a cd from face down basically like um we got some for free but basically it cost us five dollars to buy a cd from face down then we could sell it for whatever we wanted. We could sell it for a hundred dollars if we wanted to, and we right. get all we get ninety five dollars back. Um, but if we just sold it for the same amount of money that we got it from Face Down, then we covered our cost, and you got a CD, and then you learn our songs, and then you show up to the next show, and you know the lyrics, and you sing along, or like it it positively affected you somehow. Um, that was the main idea behind that. And also being completely honest, like 
at that time in the music industry, sound scans, like how many records you sold, meant what tours you were going to get to go on and where you played on that tour. Like if you'd only sold 10,000 records um, and you got some tour, you might only get to play like second of four and only right. make, you know, a couple hundred dollars a night. But if you'd sold 20 or 30,000 records, then you got to play third or fourth on that tour and make a thousand dollars a night. So it's all like about the long the long con or the long game, you know, like sell your CDs cheap. So you sell a lot of them. So in the end, you get to play better tours and make more money on that tour. Um, and then the t-shirts was really the way that we all made money. Like, um, the first three years of our band, uh, none of us took any kind of payout. We got like $5 a day on good days to get to eat. And like when we came home from tour, no one made any money and no one lived anywhere. We all lived in our like friends, like apartments on their couches. And like, I was literally homeless for like two or three years of my life for real, for real, no mailing address, no home would roll my sleeping bag out at a different person's house every time we went home. Um, and so it was right when we figured out the merch thing that we all figured out how to like pay for our places to live. So you put you make as many t-shirt designs as possible. One that's funny and goofy cartoon. One that's super serious, like deathcore metal. One that's like a hardcore band t-shirt. Like you have something that appeals to everybody and you make it as flashy and as big as possible. So when you walk by our, our table and you've never even heard of our band, but that shirt looks cool. We're just a soundtrack to a clothing store at that point. <laughs> and you buy a t-shirt from us and we sell it two or three dollars cheaper than the band next to us so that way we sell 20 more t-shirts than they did that night and then i get to actually live in an apartment like a 400 a month apartment that was 400 square foot you know like right it, it was it was uh meek livings at that time but like that was when we figured out how to like you know make a living if you want to call it that um also like we thought we were the coolest thing in the world when we had this big, huge trailer and a big, huge backline and like banners and scrims and all that stuff. And that stuff was cool. And we like fit in with everybody and we could go play with Asley Dying and look like a professional band and all that stuff. But when we scaled back and got rid of the trailer and got rid of all that stuff and we put all our gear in the back of our van and then like, like roughed it, roughed it, roughed it, that's when we started being able to like live in thousand dollar a month apartments you know and like sustain the band for a few more years so whose idea was it to make you into the incubus guy of metal dude i don't know how like it all started like you're talking about like me being on shirts and all that right yes yeah like your face being on a baby's body (laughs) it seriously just started as like uh like i we took some pictures it was in oklahoma uh, we're, we used to play this place in Claremore, Oklahoma called The Tree, and we took some promo pictures with some guy, and one of the outtakes was a picture of me winking, right? It's like yeah. that main picture that was used on like a lot of stuff. It's just like, a, you know, hey, can I get a picture from my MySpace? It was like one of those kind of pictures. Yeah. And I do a wink, and Blake is like messing. Blake used to do like a lot of our t-shirt designs our guitar player blake um 
and he was messing around in the van on the laptop one day and he goes and he showed us that that thing and goes hey man let let's put this on a shirt and see if it does anything let's just put your signature on the back and see if it if it sells and they were like are are you okay with that are you good with it and i was like man i guess so like and really at the time i wish i would have said hey can i get like one dollar per t-shirt or something since it's my face um and then we'd have to pay you to talk to you. That's that's where it would have gone. Because the end, I mean, by the end of it, dude, like with with all honesty, not inflating anything, and I don't have any real data, but like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of T-shirts in the world that had my face on them. And people so bought awesome. them and wore them. And that's crazy. Um, it, felt, it felt good. You know, it's funny. Like, you know, you're walking around, you see somebody with your shirt on in the mall and it's your face. And then people are like, whoa, 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 you know, oh, you one dollar. <laughs> there you go, <laughs> <Nice>. Andy. <laughs> so to go back in time a little bit more, even, you know, before the play days, as far as I know, um, I actually watched a ton of videos that was for a merch company called Zambui.com. And that's actually how I became a i don't want to say acquainted with you because that's creepy um but like saw saw your stuff and it was just you doing interviews and stuff and it was like and i believe that company was it was either owned or at least operated by bruce fitzhugh living sacrifice i just um wanted to see what that was like for you uh, working there and what your role was there in the company yeah zambui was like um right when e-commerce came about when people first realized Oh, we can use the internet to sell stuff. Uh, we were kind of like on the ground floor in that, especially for like any kind of band merchandise. Um, so Zambui was like probably the first like online merch store for bands. Uh, we handled most. We did all of the Tooth and Nail and Solid State roster and um, all Mono versus Stereo, a bunch of other labels and bands. But um, I got a job there. Uh, through Bruce, I'd met him um, like early on when I played in another band, and then also Mark Emery, who was the drummer of Mortal Treason. If you happen to remember that band, um, I do. My, ba- my band and their band toured together. My like first metal band, I guess. Um, and so I got a job there, and I was just screen printing. That's like. I've had a few jobs in my life of screen printing, and that was the first one. I learned how to, the art of that, and it was cool. Um, so I was jamming there, doing that, basically just going in every day, listening to loud heavy metal and rock and roll and hardcore, real loud, and, and screen printing T-shirts all day long. And it was very lax, and it was like that whole startup vibe. There was no rules. Like Everybody was just kind of flying by the seat of their pants. Um, and then... I have a really good work ethic. I'm not the kind of guy that's late ever. And I was like late one day. First time ever being late. And I guess uh, that was the day they were going to decide, like, we're going to crack down on people being late. Um, Oh, no. So, uh, yeah, Zambui was owned and operated by Bruce from Zambu or from Sacrifice. And then Mike Lewis, who played in the band uh, Pooler, and he was in For Love, Not Lisa, if you know either one of those bands. Yeah, 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 I do. Um, So those two dudes ran the company along with another guy nobody would know, but um, Mike, who was pretty much like functioning CEO, I guess he was like head head honcho, he pulled me in his office and was furious about me being late, 
and was going to like fire me. And that same exact day, the same dude that was doing online content for them, like we put out videos and stuff when bands would come through town, we do like interviews and shoot the live shows and stuff just to try to generate some traffic to the website. Um, Rado, the guy that was doing all their stuff at the time, um, bailed or, or something and couldn't do this interview with Spoken and uh, Project 86. And somebody told Mike, yo, you shouldn't fire him. He's hilarious because he didn't really know me that well at the time. He's funny. You should send him out and do have him do the, the video tonight, the interview tonight. And he was like, pretty much, all right, if you go prove yourself tonight and it's funny, then you can keep your job here. And I went and I knew very little about their bands and uh, made a fool of myself. And everybody thought it was funny and I got to keep my job there. So I, and my day job was screen printing, but then like started being pretty like, you know, into the video content stuff there and did all kinds of stuff for them over the years and um, it was cool. I made like some extra cash doing it and got to become like an internet superstar for like five minutes. It was cool because I remember going to that website, you know, and originally I just went there to buy merch. You know what I mean? Like everybody did. And uh, I remember seeing those videos and I was like, you know, this dude's hilarious. And this is kind of like, I don't want to say it was, I don't remember if it was before YouTube or not. Um, it was YouTube actually, was dude, like, what? I, I was struggling whether I was going to say that just a second ago. I yeah. do think it was like, it was definitely before YouTube was what YouTube is now. Right. Like, I think we were hosting our videos on, on our site and through the years finally started fun or like I was only there a couple years, but through my time there, we started funneling some of those videos onto YouTube because YouTube started becoming like a place that people would go to watch videos, you know? Um, but yeah, it was kind of before like people just went to YouTube to watch stuff, you know? Well, yeah. And if, if nobody even un, even knows what I'm talking about, um, these videos were insane. There, there was one where you literally somebody, somebody literally bench pressed Bruce Fitzhugh on, on it. Like literally got down on the floor and bench pressed Bruce Fitzhugh on screen. And I remember being like, this is the coolest thing in the <laughs> coolest thing in the entire world that i've ever seen because for whatever reason bruce comes across as a super serious dude all yeah, the time for sure and and so to see him participating in something like that was like oh my god like i i remember just being like really 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 thinking that was funny but one of the reason i bring up zambui the most was and i don't even know if you were doing this for zambui or not but uh there is a cornerstone video of you walking around I want to say this was later. I don't know if it was related to, to Zambui or not, but you were walking around Cornerstone interviewing bands. Yeah, for that some was reason. that was after Zambui. Uh, that was like once we got on Face Down, uh, and I joined Play. We got on Face Down, and then we were kind of just trying to capitalize on that. Like, oh, I used to be the Zambui guy, so Face yeah. Down like had me go around and interview a bunch of bands and stuff. Um, but yeah, it was always fun, man. That that whole Zambui like uh, years were really fun because it was. I was I grew up in a really small town in Paris, Tennessee, like a couple hours away from Nashville, 
like without the internet, that's before the internet was even really like a big deal. Uh, you had to find music through like friends and Christian bookstores and that kind of thing. And yeah, um, so like you know, I like loved Living Sacrifice, and I loved um, Pooler, and I loved Blenderhead, and I loved Tooth and Nail Records, right? And then fast forward like five years later or whatever. I'm working at Zambui with Bill Power from Blenderhead, which is like the first tape that I ever bought with my own money was Blenderhead. And then like Living Sacrifices was one of the first metal bands I ever went and saw live. And I love Pooler. And so I'm just like in the middle of like, I don't want to say my heroes, but as a kid, if you would have told me when I was like 15, that I was going to be working with those three people. I mean, like Bill Power is a part of putting out some of the like most legendary records that I've ever cared about at Tooth and Nail. You know, I was a diehard yeah. Tooth and Nail kid. So just getting in the middle of all that and being like surrounded by all that was so fun. And um, it really was a good party like vibe of being a startup and. I mean, we'd be screen printing, and then all of a sudden, let's make a video of like throwing Adam through a through a table or something, you know? And it was it was <laughs> yeah. exciting. Yeah, I was stupid enough to eat up every single bit of it, you know? Like I was just like, oh my god, I'd like call up my friend Buddy and be like, dude, you got to come over to my house and watch this video. And like, uh, really weird that I would do. Like, we didn't have smartphones then, so I couldn't be like, go watch this video. Maybe I could have, but I made him come over to my house and watch it anyway. Uh, <laughs> but That's it was cool. uh, yeah. <laughs> old school but uh you know and i remember one particular interview um where you were interviewing other face town bands i think it was you, you interviewed death star and seventh star <laughs> and it yeah. was like <laughs> when you asked like you asked each one of them you're like hey dude i i heard that death star is trying to take the star from you guys <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> I almost died because, like, I loved all those bands, you know, and like to hear somebody ask that absurd of a question and then they actually answered it. Like, he was like, Well, if we ever had to fight it out over the star, I mean, I'd hate to see that, but if they did, then, you know, we'd have to pack a lunch or something. Like, it was, it was insane. And, like, I, uh, that's what I went into. That that's what I went into a plea for purging with, you know. Like when I, whenever I found out that you were singing for a plea for purging, I was like, "Well, what's this going to be?" Because this dude's just just straight goof. And then whenever I listened to the albums, I was like, "Yeah, people are a lot more complicated than I thought that they were," <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, dude, that was so fun, man. Like joining Face Down was was so sick because, like, I mean, I was a fan from the beginning, like. I had like the second like little sampler they ever put out. Um, so I was total face down kid. But like when we joined, we were just like some goofy dudes from Tennessee and like we're thrown in the midst of all these like hard throat tattooed, like hardcore dudes from Southern California and Florida. And like all those dudes are so serious, like the Death Star dudes and like it was that that those videos are so funny because it's just me like clowning and on those dudes and like not really understanding how serious they are until we're in the middle of hitting record. Like right. I remember rec uh, interviewing Justin from X looking forward X 
And when I'm interviewing him, I say something about looking forward. And he goes, it's X looking forward X. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. oh my gosh. <laughs> like this dude is so intensely serious, um, which dude looking forward was so sick. Um, so I'm not slamming them, but like, that's when I was like, oh man, like we're, we're in the middle of some real shit right now. And like, we're just trying to be funny. <laughs> right. That's, that is hilarious. And, um, yeah, like, did, did you ever feel the need like to be serious? Like, th- like there had to be, there had to be moments where you felt like, I don't want to be, um, and maybe maybe we've already talked about this too much, but like there had to be moments where you, you felt like, you know, man, I just, I don't want to meet anybody new right now. Like, I, like, um, and I fast forwarded like way too many years into the band after what we were talking about, but like, is there ever a point where you, cause I, like, even I get this way to a certain extent, like when somebody tells me to check out a new band or, hey, so and so wants to do an interview or yada, yada, yada. Um, do you, did you ever just reach that point where you were like, man, I don't want to meet anybody else new. I don't want to have to joke around. I don't want to have to be funny. Like, I feel like you already answered this, but I'm sure. Like, I mean, that yeah. it, it got that way for sure. Um, yeah. But you always had to remember that, like, we were granted with, like, uh, an opportunity that everybody else ever wished they could do. You know what I mean? Like, um, and we we're, uh, you know, with lack of not trying to sound goofy, but we were blessed to be able to have that opportunity to jam. Yeah. Well, you said blessed, so now I can now I can market this interview to Christian sites. So perfect. Tight, yeah. tight, tight, tight. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Joe, Joe, get out the bleeper in case we ever said any. If we said any no no words, and it'll, it'll all be good. <laughs> uh, and this is something that I ask everybody, and I don't know if you're going to be able to top what David from the Showdown said in his interview. Probably um, not. That dude's hilarious. Dude, some of the stuff that he that he threw down, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like, uh, but it, you know, being in the Christian music industry, um, what was like some weird stuff? And I'm not asking you to name names or slam anybody or anything, but like, na- like some of the weirdest stuff that you'd been asked to do or asked to say because you were a Christian band and there were people that were like expecting you to do a certain thing that you really weren't stoked about doing. Yeah. I mean, we were definitely like, we were asked to like lead altar calls and like, you know, um, that whole thing, like bring kids to the Lord, have kids come down to the altar and pray over everyone. And, uh, that whole thing. And like, and maybe towards the beginning of the band, I don't know that we ever had like a legit altar call, but towards the beginning of the band, like I was more open to that stuff because I thought that's what I thought that's what it was. I thought that's what my point in doing it all was. Um, And then I realized I was just um, going through the motions and just doing doing it because that's what was expected of us, you know. So, I mean, within a first year or two of our band, I realized like that's not what I'm trying to accomplish here. Um, so I was pretty quick to, you know, we, anytime we were asked to do anything like that, I had to be like, yo man, I'm, I'm sorry, but that's not us. And you know, if I need, you know, if we need to like take a five minute break and you come up and talk to some kids or something, that's fine. And we, 
had that happen a couple times, and that's always like just a bummer if you're playing in the middle of a heavy set and everybody's having a great time, and then the youth pastor wants to come up and talk to kids about you know true love weights or whatever it is. Um, like it, it ruins the whole vibe of the show. But if a church is paying you a thousand dollars to come rock their gig, then let them do whatever they want to do, and you guys got to coincide. But our hardest thing was always like we go do a headlining tour and we'd play like a some Christian markets and some general market mar- markets. Um, but we would take out like secular bands with us, right? So, right. like, I mean, we yeah. had a we, you know, I can remember a tour where we were playing and we took out within the ruins and um. We played this like church venue thing, and there was like huge thing. I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but there was like so much drama about them playing, and their sound was cut in the middle of their set. And I had to like go to oh. bat for them, you know, like yeah, w- you know, one it makes us look bad because we're playing at a Christian venue, and it's it's our team that cut their sound off. You know what I mean? And right, then I had to like right. go to the promoters in the church and be like, yo. This is our tour. These are dudes that we like respect and want them to be on this tour with us. And you just cut their sound. Like, you know, like, so there was always those kind of things that it playing the Christian venues and the Christian markets were always pretty um, hard, you know, but also like this is something people don't want to talk about and be honest about. But like the Christian shows will pay you more money than the secular shows will pay you and you know if you're trying to pay your bills and um figure out a balance you know maybe you have to play some of those sometime um to go and play the the bar show the next show you know what i mean um sure that's something people don't want to admit and like i don't know that's a whole nother podcast but um yeah i don't know It, it we don't look back at that whole uh I mean, we're we don't uh, we're not negative about the fact that we did shit in the Christian industry. Um, sure, but it was a weird line we had to walk. I remember playing festivals where I remember getting in trouble at Ichthus Festival because they said, "Hey, you have to announce that there is a prayer tent, and after your set, please push kids to this prayer tent." And I was like, "No, I don't want to do that." And they're like. Yeah, you got to. It's part of your contract or something. So when we played on stage, I go, hey, I'm being forced by this festival to tell you that there is a prayer tent over there. And there are people that I don't know and I don't respect. And I can't tell you anything about them because I've never met them personally. But those people over in that tent say that they they have some things to say to you. I can tell you that you can go talk to them or you can come talk to me or my three friends that are behind me. And we'll try to be as honest to you about our lives and what we got going on as possible. And that made the that made the festival pretty fucking enraged and we weren't we weren't allowed to play there anymore. But we had a lot of those festivals where we were kicked out of. That's gotta be awkward for the youth pastor. All right, kids. True love waits. And now a plea for purging. This song is called Mm -hmm. Retribution. You couldn't stop this if you tried. Yeah, I did. I was even thinking, 
I was even thinking like a like an altar call. So it was like altar call, altar call, altar call, and then you jump up there. Whorehouses are built with the bricks of religion. It's like, oh my goodness, you know. But yeah. um, but I love that stuff, man. I I felt I, like because I was I had the benefit of being like a Christian hardcore kid when I was a kid, you know. And so as I grew up as an adult, kind of got like. I didn't mean this to like slam anybody that is that way, but like it's I've I've gotten to the point where a lot of you guys, a lot of bands like Plea and and you know the Showdown and bands like that, like because I grew up as you guys were growing up, none of it ever came across to me as like weird or you know like out, out of nowhere or whatever. It's like yeah, and these guys are talking about stuff that like I'm actually experiencing, and um, to, right. that, to, that's the to, hope is that your fan base are growing with you right like look at a band like thrice you know like completely different band than us and like way more successful but like not only did they start out as one thing musically and lyrically but like look at the most recent record that they put out lyrically and musically and like they've grown so much and their fan base is like chosen to grow with them you know yeah um and i mean hopefully that's what I feel like that's the majority of what our listeners did with us in our time. But there are definitely those that like, you know, jumped off train when we were, you know, getting darker or crazier or whatever we were doing. Or you got some like broad eyed, bushy tailed, like Christian kid that comes in right around mid like uh, marriage of heaven and hell record cycle. And they're like, what are these angry dudes doing here at our church right now? You know, <laughs> he just did. He just yell, "Your God is dead!" Like over and over and over again. Because I don't know if that's. And it's like, no, no, he's talking about money. Like they're God's money. Yeah, but he said, "Your God is dead." It's like, yeah, I, I know he said that, but it's not. It's that, not what you're thinking. That song is. That song was like hard to sing at some places, dude. Yeah. I'm not gonna lie. It was great though, man. I, I love stuff that ruffles feathers, you know, and like it's. Um, that, that's like we were talking uh, a while back on a Cannibal Corpse episode that we did where we talked we, we for some reason decided to listen to all 14 Cannibal Corpse albums and talk about them <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I know when we were at the when we were at the end of it when we were at the end of it we were like you know here's the thing man you don't nobody listens to heavy music because they want other people to like it you listen to heavy music to freak people out you know, to to a to a degree. So, like, if you're riding in the car with your boss one day, what are you going to put on? You're not going to put on whatever's on the radio. You're going to put on Meat Hook Sodomy by Cannibal Corpse, just mm-hmm. to just to see what kind of reaction that you're going to get out of that person. And um, <laughs> so, like, heavy metal, heavy metal in general, you know, is so based on that shock value. But I, I think I think to a certain degree, you guys definitely tried to keep it real. And I guess one of the things you, you've had mixed um, responses over the years on interviews about heavy metal um, is heavy metal predominantly your favorite genre, or do you kind of go all over? Um, dude, I'm everywhere. I definitely grew up like you know well, I started with like uh grunge and that that's when i like really like lo- locked on to music and it being important to me um but soon after grunge i got into like punk rock and hardcore so like i fall on that end of the spectrum a little more than i do metal um but you know like i definitely got into like you know 
metal. I mean, I got into like Zayo and Norma Jean a whole lot, and like that, like metal core. I guess is like about yeah. as metallic as I get. Like, I don't jam a whole lot of like crazy real metal. Like, if you you know, you guys are probably like way more schooled in metal and all the different facets of black metal and and you know death metal and progressive metal and uh, all that um i i've always wanted something that's a little more like catchy and sing along to you know sure. so like all the dudes in my band loved mushuga like love them love them love them and you can tell that I over the tell. last few records yeah. right yeah. i don't really care about mushuga like i mean i get it it's sick some of the polyrhythm stuff and the guitars and all that it's insane but I love Comeback Kid, right? Um, yeah. So it was like, okay, let's figure out how to be a metal band, but have like more sing-along parts, like which we never mastered. Like there are bands that pulled it off way better than us. I think. Like I was always trying to figure out how to have the most like catchy vocal patterns for that crazy time signature stuff we did, and they didn't really give me. Um, much to work with, you know, like it was always so crazy and like super like, how am I supposed to ride a vocal pattern over top of this? You know, now I get sure. why like that dude from Meshuggah, that dude, just everything he does is like, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, and has to do. Yeah. yeah. And so I was trying to actually do something that was like, you know, somewhat catchy enough where people would want to sing along to it, but it was hard. Well, it came off kind of rappy in places, and I actually dug that um, more than I probably would have admitted to my friends at the time because there was a little bit there was a little bit of that rap influence in there, and I, um, especially I felt like on the marriage, it was more more that, and I actually really appreciated it. I've been going through this weird renaissance lately where I'm kind of like giving rap a chance after 30 years. Word. And, uh, and I'm starting to I'm starting to really get into some of it. And so when I went back and listened to these plea records um, to to kind of get prepped up to, for the interview and make sure I actually knew what I was talking about and stuff, I um, you know I started noticing that in the vocal patterns and stuff that it was very um, rhythmic. Maybe it was an accident or whatever. But then I look back at like cover songs that you guys did. Like there was that cover song of uh, what was it? Live your life. Um, yeah, that I can only find on YouTube. Yeah, um, we did "Live Your Life." We did "Big Papa" by uh, B.I.G. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we were really uh, me and Aaron and John. Like Blake's not really a hip hop guy too much, but like we were all pretty heavily influenced by hip hop. And um, I mean, like when we pre-proed any of our music, like before we'd go into the studio. It was usually me and Aaron in a room recording together. Aaron was our drummer. Um, so, you know, I'd bring a, a bunch of lyrics and a bunch of vocal patterns and um, I'd come in and like pre-pro out records or songs. And Aaron, who was like more into hip hop than me even, would like help me like, you know, come up with some some better vocal patterns, you know, like place my sure. help me play some stuff when I was struggling. So... Dude, I'll tell you who does that like really, really well is Gideon. Uh, oh my god! Dan, yes. Dan and Jake. You know, Jake the drummer writes like all the lyrics and the vocal patterns. Um, yeah. But Dan's vocals are insane and amazing. 
And those dudes work so well together to just have really, really catchy, like, like just strong vocal patterns. And it's very hip hop influenced, man. Yeah, especially on their newer record, man. That thing, that thing blew me away. That was another super controversial record that came out. But like, it was. I mean, I saw those guys play. I guess it was with Norma Jean uh, last summer. I want to say. I don't think it's been that long. But like, Gideon opened up the show, and they just like we're in St. Louis, so they like brought the arch down. You know what I mean? Like as far yeah, as um, how how intense they were and. Um, that's definitely a hard conversation to have like online since everything's all social media or whatever. Just like, well, they're not like a Christian band anymore. And I'm, I'm so jaded to that at this point in my life that I'm like, dude, but it's a banger of a record. I don't care about like, like all yeah. that stuff. But, um, yeah. That's the thing is right. like, it just like we were talking about a minute ago, like people have to, people grow. I made a statement when I was 13 years old that I believe in the Lord and I'm saved. Right. And I'm 38 years old now. And like, I, you know, I still, that's a whole, we could have 10 podcasts about where I'm at spiritually right now. Um, Let's schedule those out. Yeah. But I'm (laughs) not the person that I was when I was 13. And Dan from Gideon is not the same person he was what he was when he was 13, you know? And like, you know, people have to accept that and respect it. And there's just, People, but also bands go about it different ways. Like Plea was very intentional about how we like let that information out, and like it was was I think smooth about it. And then like Gideon was just kind of like, "Yo, fuck you guys," you know, like pretty much. I mean, I'm like really good friends with them, so I'm not shit talking them at all. Um, But like you know. Like even another band like Hundredth, I'm really good friends with those dudes, but they did the same Dude, thing. Like they're incredible. You know, like, yeah, they were like, yeah. you know, we're a Christian band, and then they did some tours where they're like, you know, spitting in the face of Christians kind of thing. Like, I don't know, not really. Like, it's just it's everybody's got their own art and their own life, and they can handle that transition or the way they want. Um, but one, as an artist, you have to respect the fans that got you to where you are. And figure out how to let them know that, you know, you're going a different direction. But then as the as the fan, you have to respect that artist for what they want to do and where their their journey is, you know? Yeah, for sure. And like the biggest example of that from for me is Zayo, you know, who is basically on a totally different totally different planet spiritually, but like their music's like some of the best stuff they put out ever um lately and like they uh yeah it's it's one of those situations where everybody's like so big on zayo like oh but it's a shame that they're not you know christians anymore and yada 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 and it's just it gets exhausting dude like when you've been into like when you've been into christian metal as long as i have which i'm sure you probably have too you know that stuff gets so exhausting after a while like talking to people about it on social media or whatever the equivalent to social media was 20 years ago which was like what message boards yeah and stuff and it's like i still see it day and is so and so band still christian or is yada 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 christian and you know and i've even you know i've even experienced even like in doing the podcast has been like because joe and i were in a christian hardcore band you know when we were younger and we did a um 
we did a we did like a Christian metal magazine and all that stuff when we were younger. And so when this show came out, the the very like I don't know, man, like the ten people that read all that stuff or whatever <laughs> was part of that or whatever come comes back with pitchforks in hands and they're all like, "What happened to you?" Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. all this stuff. And we were always just very like, I don't, I don't know, man. It's it's a podcast. You don't have to listen to it. It's it's okay. You, you got freedom, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, like I, I totally I, I feel for bands like that. And you know, I get accused a lot of times of baiting people into like that question about like you know, oh, does, what did the Christian industry make you do or whatever? That's just like pure curiosity and just like I always wonder if it matches up with what I experienced in that as well. But yeah, like I've seen it, like the altar calls and the, you know, you have to say this or you have to say that. Or if you don't say something about the Lord tonight, then people are going to feel like they didn't get what they paid for. Then you're like, well, doesn't the Lord mean more than that? And, you know, (laughs) like all this stuff. I've always felt like it's something very, very, very personal. And it's something that I feel like, you know, people will just throw out there just to sell units and, and all that, which... You know, I don't have to tell you about that. You wrote a whole record about it, you know, <laughs> like, for sure. But, but, you know, um, people might get in and, you know, like I can only use my example or, you know, my journey as an example, but like I started in that, like on that path with the most like righteous heart. Like sure. I was 13, I, you know, I became a Christian. Uh, that became like the most important thing to me. I started listening to Christian music. Uh, you know, like that was my life. That's what I got into. And then I was like, oh man, that's what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. I want to travel the world telling the people about Jesus. And then like, you know, from A to Z, it gets skewed. And like, I start realizing like a lot more things about myself and about Christianity and about the world. And like, then it becomes oh man, I'm just a part of this machine, dude. Like, and I don't even really know, like I'm not strong in my foundation and the shit I'm saying out of my mouth half the time, I'm not really sure I believe in it. Um, and so I think there's probably a lot of other people in the world that have that same experience. But like, once you're like making some money and traveling and, um, got a career based on it, you're like, it's hard to break free of that or to, question it or whatever you know sure Um, and then it just becomes this monster but then there's some people that you know i mean like i'm not judging everybody there's you know jeremy camp or whoever out there's some massive dude that 100 believes every single word that comes out of his mouth and that's sick too because people need that joe you got anything man i feel like i've been talking for like an hour and you're like sitting there just like looking oh, at me man. like i'm having a bit of a fanboy moment i've been trying to fight it off for an hour and a half because dude we're talking to andy adkins dude i get it i'm a pretty big fan of myself i'm telling yeah. you man right i remember the first police show that we went to it was when corpus christi didn't have a drummer oh geez and aaron's playing drums for him and you yeah. were consuming the front of the stage they were the first band of the night, but here you were, spread out, just trying to get the room hyped because Corpus Christi is about to play with your drummer. And you said that several times, my drummer. Yeah, that's funny. You know, I don't, I barely remember. Did, were we playing before them? You were, no, no, you, you were after them. You played oh, after, after they them. did, yeah. 
and I just remember, I'm sorry, dude, but the joke in the car on the way there was, no, dude, seriously, the band is like 100%, all their merch, everything, it's about the fat guy. What are you talking about? You'll see when you get there. And then you get up there and start doing that Chris Farley-style aerobic jumping, like, no, no, no. I'm going to get the crowd hyped up. I'm going to get the crowd going. I know you were affected by the pressure of always needing to be on. But how did you get yourself in that mindset when you had to do it? Even when you didn't want to, but you know you got to go out there and you got to be the positive guy in the front of the room. How do you turn on that portion of Andy Adkins, the lead singer of A Plea for Purging, who's going to do two songs and then tell everybody in the room how hot it is and that everybody needs to practice good powder technique? <laughs> I can't remember any of this stuff, but <laughs> man. Um, Isn't it crazy what people remember? Yeah, yeah, that's so sick. Um, man, I don't know. Like it well you're talking about like a scream the prayer show right where there was probably like 500 to a thousand kids in the room um like it's way way easier to turn it on at that when like you just put out a record that rips and you're playing to a room of like you know let's average it out 800 kids um and like you hit a note and the whole room goes crazy like it's pretty easy whether you're having a terrible day or a great day to walk into that experience and be like, holy crap, let's jam, dude. Like, those shows, like, some of those tours, like, you know, anybody can talk crap on Scream the Prayer, but that's some of the biggest tours we ever played. And, like, those shows were, they're so insane. You know, I mean, like, it's kind of cheesy. Like, the the Scream the Prayer, just that title is kind of cheesy. And, like, you know, like, all the bands that were not, I don't want to say all of them, but you know, 80% of the bands that were on those tours now probably don't want to like admit that they were a Christian band at one point in their career. And you know, there's that whole thing, but like, dude, those shows were intense. Kids came ready to party, ready to just have a good time. You sold insane amount of merch. Like they were just really fun shows. And, uh, that was a cool tour. Cause we were like, I mean, I think we were number two of like 10 bands or something. And like, yeah. we had a whole lot to prove, you know, but like even playing that early in the, in the show, like I feel like we killed it. And there were like a lot of kids that really latched on our band on that tour. Like we gained a lot of fans, I think, um, man, it was sick. It was fun. I don't remember what a question I'm answering, but like, that was, that was a good time, <laughs> dude. Oh, it's cool, oh, man. And I, guess, I do want to. I want to okay. talk about the uh, the shirts. This ties in to like you're talking about how like oh you're on the way there and you're in a car full of people and you're talking about the the funny fat guys on the t-shirts. Like ties into that thing that like in the very beginning when we started shopping our band around and trying to get signed and get management, like I had people tell us like tell me yo, your band would be more successful if you lost 60 pounds or 100 pounds. Like, you know, like your weight is going to affect your career. Um, and and it did. And I think like our goofiness and my weight and like our image affected how successful maybe we could have been. But instead of taking that as a handicap, we just like marketed the hell out of it, you know? Like, okay, 
we're fat, we're funny. This dude's fucking obese. Let's put him on a shirt and let's make fun of it. And like people remembered that, and the people that cared about what we were doing really latched onto that. So it was fun. It's fun being the poster child you. for obesity. I feel <laughs> you. No, I mean I I ran into that too when I played in my own band. People were always like. Why don't you go on more walks or something, dude? Like, yeah, when it was always like, and it never, it never affected the, the effect. It never affected the like intensity of their performances or anything like that, you know? But like, for some reason, people always felt like, you know, for some, for some stupid reason, people always felt the need to mention it in a way that like, and so I applaud you in that you're like, dude, bring it on. Like, this is like, I'm going to embrace it and make it, you know, a strength. It's a bug, not ever. I'm sorry. It's a feature, not a bug. You know. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, and that- I think it's crazy that like, if you look at the world of music and and metal, like we're like one of the only bands that got as far as we got with like a really fucking fat dude as a lead singer. You know, like <laughs> that's kind of cool, man. So that's a meatloaf. <laughs> yeah, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Um. And you know what? While we're talking about that, so like, just in the past few months, maybe it was weeks. It feels like months. I don't know. This lockdown's weird, but like, you guys put out a track called "Fat Pride," which, at my understanding, is not a new song, but an older song. Um, what was your, you know, because we we were kind of talking a little bit earlier off mic about how, you know, you're posting stuff and people that are into plea are always like jumping on it. You guys released this song called "Fat Pride." And immediately everybody jumps to the conclusion that, oh, Plea must be getting back together. Like, what? H- how did you handle that? Because I'm sure you got flooded with messages and comments and stuff, people thinking that the band's going to do something. And my understanding is that it's not. But I, I don't know. I just uh, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you about it. So I'm asking you about it. Right. I mean, like. That song's not new. When we put out the Life and Death, we put out a seven inch with Heart of a Child on it. Okay. And the, and the B side to that Heart of a Child seven inch was the Fat Pride song. Yeah. Um, and it was never released digitally. So, I mean, we the simple story is face down, uh, like Shannon, our publicist, emailed us one day and said, hey, um, how would you guys feel about putting Fat Pride on the internet just because it was never on there? Like, let's put it up on Spotify and Apple Music and all that stuff just so people have it. And we were like, absolutely. Uh, we it. didn't even realize it wasn't. So, yeah. like, we, um, but then, like, there's a backstory to the fact that, like, the way that Spotify and Apple Music and all this stuff works is for some reason you have to have a face Facebook page. Uh, I don't know if it's all tied together. I don't I don't understand it. But we didn't have a Facebook page anymore because Facebook took down our page for some reason. Right. And we had to have a new one. So we got a new Facebook page. And then when we did that, we also got a Twitter and an Instagram. Just just cause. I think Blake was just really like bored one day and just op- you know opened up all that stuff since <laughs> he was already doing the Facebook thing. Sure. And then it just got crazy for like about a week. And people are like, oh, my gosh, please coming back They're, You know, they're releasing new music. And the reality was we just like wanted to put up this this song, you know, and put it online yeah. um, with all that being said, like, you know, when we broke up, we like 
made it a huge point that we would never ever play another show ever again like we are very adamant about like we're breaking up and we're not doing this and we're not going to be that reunion band that everybody sees you know come play shows every two years um and then we ended up playing a reunion show we played face down fest like in 2017 i was gonna Um, say you did do that yeah yeah right and like (laughs) i mean and we actually oh shit we were actually asked to do it, and we said no. Like, when Jason said, hey, do you guys want to play Face Down Fest? Uh, it's the 20-year reunion of Face Down being a record label. We said no. And then Aaron moved to California and started hanging out with Jason and pretty much talked him into it. And then Aaron called all of us, all of us and said, hey, let's do it. So we did it. And it's an even way longer story. Like, we get out there. We were in a practice space. We rehearsed for, like, a week. Uh, John's wife is pregnant in Tennessee. She doesn't, she can't come. Um, she goes into labor two months early. John flies home the day before we play face down fest and doesn't even play the show with us. Uh, Blake and I have to go into Jason's house at face down, go to, go to, uh, guitar center, buy all the gear that we would need to track all the bass parts and make them, um, so we could play with like a backing track to a bass player. Um, and we played that face down fest without John long story short. So that was kind of a bummer. Um, fast forward to, to now, to now, um, we've all decided that like, it doesn't have to be so cut and dry and it doesn't have to be so black and white. And like, we all have careers and we're alive and living our lives and stuff. And if it were ever to make sense, for us to play a show maybe we would play a show um but the reality of that is like it making sense and i'm not trying to be like grab for money but like it has to make sense financially for aaron who lives in california tyler who lives in Il- or indiana john who lives in knoxville and me and blake who live in nashville to all be in the same place for a week to rehearse and then go play a show somewhere that's kind of an expensive price tag to make that happen. So sure. I don't really think we're worth too much money that people would want to pay for that to happen. But if they did, it's not out of the question at this point. But we don't have a ton of offers sitting at the door. You know what I'm saying? Joe, how much money do we have in the Patreon right now? <laughs> 60 bucks last I heard. Hang oh, on. you want? Oh, damn. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> All right. It's fine. Well, you know what? In three years, we're gonna yeah, but uh, that dude, that's that that's the ultimate goal, right? We're well, that's the thing that bummed me out. Like with Furnace Fest, I'm like getting really terrified that Furnace Fest ain't gonna happen. Yeah, um, dude, that you was you guys like plan on going? Yeah, dude, it was like a dream come true, dude. I've been like emailing Chad Johnson like every day, being like, dude, the premier podcast that should be on be it furnace fest is this one you know and all that but like i'm a little terrified at this point that like i mean some bands are talking about like dude we're probably not going to tour until 2021 you know and yeah they they had gotten all these bands together again i mean there there really aren't a whole lot of places where you're gonna get to see you know converge uh knock loose dillinger escape plan uh zayo living sacrifice beloved you know like that kind of lineup is just so it's legendary it's insane 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 like 
the price tag is heavy, but like I, I haven't bought a ticket, but I do plan on going before it's all said and done. Like, I mean, those are all the bands I was listening to when I was like 16 years old, you know, like it's insane. I think it'd be like going back in time, you know, to another realm. Um, so I hope it does happen, you know, like working on the inside in the industry, I realized that like, there's a good chance that September is still a little shaky in the events world, but I hope it does happen. I'd love to go. We were in talks with Chad about playing that, but it just didn't work. Yeah, that's a bummer. But I mean, you know, it's only kind of a bummer if you look at everything else that they have going on. Like, because I was hoping, like, I had in my mind that, like, dude, he's going to start doing this every year and it's going to be like, you know, every year it's going to be bands that you'd never even imagine that you'd ever get to see live, you know, ever again. Yeah. And like, because the beloved one, that was a big one. Um, like for me and, you know, some of the other bands just, you know, like even bands like Showbread that were there and disappeared, playing, getting together and playing the album that everybody liked in its entirety. Um, all that stuff was just, was just incredible. And yeah, it was the big thing I was looking forward to this year. And now it's like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen. They haven't announced it, but if it does happen, man, um, you know, I definitely will owe you a beer there if you if you come. Sick, <laughs> yeah, dude. You <laughs> gotta re- turn it down. You gotta remind me though, because you'd be all like, "Hey, dude, you said something about a beer," and I was like, "Oh yeah, well, I spent like a whole bunch of money to get here." <laughs> yeah, dude. I remember, like, yo, dude, you said something about like three beers. Um, you remember that? Yeah, and then Joe's going to be all like, yeah, I got the tape. He definitely said three. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, the, you know, to to you know to kind of end it off, because we've taken up your whole evening, and I apologize for that, but um, one of the things to end it off is, you know, so the band ends. We're kind of ending where we started. Um, you know, the band ends. You guys you guys famously did the quit your job, or quit your band, get a job tour, and, and, and all that, and you know, how, where has, and a lot of people that probably followed you more closely on social media than I did probably already know the answer to this, but how, you know, what, how is Andy Atkins in 2020 and what plans do you have for the future? Like, what are you, what are you looking forward to? What are you stoked about minus the, you know, obviously the virus stuff? Dude, uh, it's been a crazy journey since I left the band. Like, um, I had no, I, I knew that it was a glass ceiling and that it was going to end and that there was only so far metalcore was going to take me, but I didn't make any plans outside of that. Cause I was just really living life for the moment and trying to soak in all the experience. So when it all ended, like I just fell right into the world, trying to figure it out, hit the ground running. I've worked like a ton of different, uh, crappy jobs, some good, some bad. Yeah. Um, and like finally landed, a job that's somewhat a career, I guess, in what I'm doing now. But um, this whole like coronavirus thing, where I've it's forced me to spend a lot of time at home, has really got me rethinking like what's important to me. And I mean, we have to pay our bills. You have to go, and you got to go to work and do what you got to do to keep the lights on, right? But like, um. I don't have to be a hundred percent career minded all the time and think about my job all the time. I should start thinking about like the things that bring me joy, you know? And, um, so currently I'm like 
really trying to focus on myself and what brings me happiness and joy and those things are like the obvious is hanging out with Rachel, my fiance, and riding and working on motorcycles is a pretty big passion of mine. Um, but like you know, I touched about touched on it a little bit in the beginning of this, but like I'm trying to like put this party on forever vibe out into the world where like I want to focus on um, the things that make me feel good and youthful and positive as opposed to the impending doom of uh, financial debt and death. You know, all the things that we really think about as adults. Uh, I'm trying to remember what it was like to be 13 years old and hear uh, poking at you for the first time, you know, by MXPX or something. Um, and just be uh, a punk and have a good time and have fun. So I'm currently working on like a an idea of putting out a bunch of content for YouTube videos and podcasts and, um, you know, being in contact with the world again outside yeah. of my little bubble. Um, it's exciting. I got a t-shirt for sale online. That's got my face on it again because choring. people seem to like those. Yeah. I'm really into choring. That's a whole thing where like, I, I've had a really, I bought a house last year for the first time in my life. And like there's a whole lot of chores that are involved in owning a home. And instead of like being alone in my chores, I've been trying to post them all online. So there will be like a solidarity aspect to choring and it's taken off. People are like posting the hashtag choring and like posting videos and pictures of them like doing chores. And it's funny, but it's also cool because it's like encouraging other people to not be slobs and to take care of their lives and to get their shit in order. I like it. That's what I got going on. Yeah. I need to get better on that. <laughs> I work get all your the time. shit together, dude. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. But, uh, dude, that's awesome. That's great. And, you know, then one of the things that I, um, that I loved about all of that, the choring and all that stuff or whatever, it's like, dude... We've had such a rough year in 2020 up to this point, and the world needs more Andy Atkins. You know what I mean? Like, we, we need that. That's something I that I had so. when I was a kid. That's something I had when I was not so much a kid anymore, and that's something that I've now got as an adult, and it makes me happy, you know? That's sick. That's I mean, like, I'm pretty vain, too. If I just want to be, like, completely honest with everybody, like, I like love hearing myself talk and I think I'm like funny and really witty and got really great things to say. And like, for some reason being like a really big fat dude, like it's like funny and okay to say those things. If I was like a super attractive fit, like successful dude. And I was like, dude, I'm hilarious and I'm funny and the world needs me. People would think that's like, who is this dude? He's asinine. But like, for some reason, it's funny and endearing when like I say it. So, you know, I just got to keep go. putting it out there. People love me. If you don't know me and you're listening to me this far in this interview, you're going to love me. So follow me on all the socials because I'm going to change your life. 